You've eaten Gotham's wealth, its spirit, but your feast is nearly over. This is not my hole. It's an operating table. And I'm the surgeon. Why aren't you laughing? From this moment on, none of you are safe. Welcome to the Batman Book Club, a podcast that explores the Dark Knight Library. I am your host, Ryan Lauer. Like and follow the Batman Book Club on Twitter at TheBatmanBC to get up to date on new episodes, upcoming episodes, and giveaways, much like one that just recently ended, and there's another one coming soon. You can also follow me on Twitter at Lauer underscore Ryan, Lauer spelled like lower, for any questions, comments, concerns, or anything Batman-related at all that you would like to ask on the show, and maybe we'll do a Q&A episode again in the future, just write to thebatmanbc at gmail.com. And finally, please take 30 seconds out of your day to rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts. Uh, the link is right in the description of this episode. If The more reviews and ratings it gets, it'll help spread the word, and the word is panic. Now, today's episode is, as you can see, called for Child of Dreams, a somewhat forgotten story, an underrated story, much like the guest on today's episode. He is the sheriff of the podcasting world. He likes to jump like Mario onto any podcast that will have him. It is the one, the only, Ryan Haas. Hello, Ryan Haas. So... Are you saying that I'm forgotten and underrated? <laughs> Is that like a subtle dig? No, it's not Just much like this forgotten and underrated book, we have a forgotten and underrated guest on today's episode. Well, I'm just, that's usually a test just to make sure that you're listening and that you haven't zoned out yet. So you are paying attention. So you get an we're A. Only, we're only you might be the best, the best guest yet. And we are only a couple minutes into this. So well, that's a bravo. huge compliment. I mean, I just kept wondering, is like, <laughs> what? This is like episode 87 of, of the Batman Book Club. And I just, every episode, I'm like, am I on this one? No. Am I on this one? No. Where, there, I, there's probably maybe two people that know who I am that have just really been waiting. I mean, like, why, where the hell is Nonsense. the other Ryan? Nonsense. So I've gotten some, I've gotten a very good turnout for this show but i guarantee after this one drops this episode right now <laughs> skyrocket i'm gonna get all those, all those badges. i'm gonna get all those badges from podbean saying like uh, dude we haven't seen the number of downloads like on this episode with ryan haas but mm-hmm. today is a today's a special day before i get to that happy story i will pull back the curtain just a little bit mm-hmm. and tell people that this actually is not the first time oh. Ryan Haas and I have recorded for the Batman Book Club. Right before this uh, coronavirus really cranked things, yeah, cranked things up to an eleven. You and I, our schedules, which were just nothing but hectic, we tried for so long. They finally aligned. We were able to record an episode, and then the coronavirus hit, blew things up. But we said, "Hey, we've got this recorded. We're good." Well, we'll release this. And then the ghost of podcasting came in and just disrupted all of our audio and we were not able to release it. And then what was it? Scheduling problems upon scheduling problems to 
finally mm-hmm. made this one happen. So yeah. For those wondering why have Ryan and Ryan not talked on a on a podcast for his show? Oh my gosh, are they fighting? No, no, no. No, no, no. It's just that the universe was kind of being a dick. Probably for the better too, because we literally recorded that podcast I believe the the week right when lockdown started for most people in March, right? So it was like it, right it when was, the world right when the second the world was changing or exploding, we were like, you know what, we should record be recording a podcast. And so I think we were super at least I was like kind of unfocused and I was like, Yeah, yeah, Batman. Yeah. And and I, I kept thinking, think man, I, I don't right, know if the episode would be good or not. <laughs> I think it was right before, literally right before Tom Hanks tested positive for the coronavirus and <laughs> the whole the world worst. stopped. <laughs> yeah. That was the like, <laughs> oh no, I hope he gets better. That's the worst this is gonna get. And yeah. That's kind of when the world paid attention. It was like, whoa, 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 whoa. Hold on a second. <laughs> Tom Hanks, shut it down. Shut down the world. Here we go. But good things have happened because um, you are a showrunner, if you will, on BOF podcasts and have been. That's why you are the sheriff. You are also on Robin. Everyone loves the Drake with Rob Myers, who's been on this show a few times. And we discussed last year about a the release of Batman Beyond, the complete series on Blu-ray. And I mm. do remember you were a big fan and you were excited. And I said, man, dude, Batman Beyond just isn't my thing. And when, you were like, when, nah, it's going to be on your shelf. It's weird. You know, whenever, whenever the, uh, the, the showrunner of the Batman book club says that he's not interested in something that's, that's Batman related. I always <laughs> kind of do a personal scale and I'm just like, you know, you should experience a thing, you know, yeah. before you judge it, which is what I do. Of course, let me, <laughs> let me toot my own horn here. But, <laughs> but, uh, but, uh, but what's fun about that is that we can convince each other to, to do those things, which is just the silly talk for, you know, ner- nerd, nerds coming in and um, just telling you, oh, you should get this. You should read that. You should do this. And, uh, you know, that's what this, this show is really, really kind of cool for is to kind of, read some books that either you love or books that you haven't experienced in a while or, or want to share with other people. And that's, that's definitely what happened with that Batman beyond thing. Cause you were at, you, you, you asked me a few times, you know, like I'm waiting. I just, maybe I'll get it later. Maybe it'll go on sale. And then it was on sale for one day. And I was like, well, flower, you said sale. it to me. And I said, damn it, Hoss, it's happening. Today's and the day. Today, the day that I am recording with Ryan Haas, what shows up literally on the doorstep is Batman Be- Batman Beyond, the complete series in Blu-ray, the limited edition set, number number 32,270 of 50,000, so barely oh. got it. Barely got it. <laughs> what included is the Funko Pop of Batman Beyond, which... Okay, so I'm not crazy on the Funkos because yeah, no, I love them, but you I'm like, no, that. if I start and I try to grab anything that I see, it's going to be madness. Yeah. So I tried to limit myself, and I'm like, how can I get some but not feel obligated to all? So what I stuck with was bat, like bat suits only. So I have like you know the '89 bat suit, the Batman Forever one, the George Clooney one, the Batman vs Superman, the Hush one. There's another like the a standard Batman one. I'm like, okay, that's a good theme, Batman suit. So of course, well, a Batman Beyond say, one makes sense. When you say Batman suit, doesn't don't you really mean just? 
Batman because won't wouldn't any Batman pop be in a different suit? Like what? Which I mean, which probably. which ones would not fit into that mold that are Batman? That's Naked true. Batman. Or? So I don't have any of like. So if I were to just say Batman, well then would that obviously like include uh, the one that, like Batman and Green Lantern? That one that came out like last year, like a two person one and whatnot. It's like no, it's oh, Batman oops. solo Batman. Those are ones that I'm getting a variety of suits. However, these the '90s Burton Schumacher ones, the villains, they mm-hmm. will be mine. I'm going to so break that, my own rule. Yeah. So, so Rob Myers, that who he just, he just mentioned uh, from Everyone Loves the Drake, it, he is a huge Funko Pop guy, and, and Terrence on Everyone Loves the Drake is a huge Funko Pop guy. And for a, the longest time, I was like. Yeah, I collect Batman stuff, but oh, get those pops away from me. I'm not I'm not a pop kind of guy. I don't I don't want to do that because I like you, I didn't want to get sucked in getting more plastic doodads with mm-hmm. soulless eyes looking at me. But, you know, you get a couple and you're like, mm. so your thing is Batman, Batman suits. What I've decided to do is to get anything anything that is Batman on, on film related, I will mm-hmm. get. So That makes sense. Yeah, so I've got, you know, the Burton Schumacher stuff. I've got as much of the, I don't think I have any Dark Knight trilogy stuff. Oh, and then I also got anything that was Batman 80 <laughs> in the black, nice. in the cool black boxes because they did yeah. make them look. And then they had like the two packs. So I've got like the Batman Joker rooftop from 89 and I've got the, uh, the Batman Gordon Batman Begins thing too. So, so that's, that's my pop. Thing. I think. I still definitely need to grab the Batman damned one because that's from my boy. Mm. Reaper Mayhew. I got to mm. get that one. And then I'll mm. feel like, okay, but you have the villain ones from the the Burton Schumacher ones. Or no? uh, I don't have them here, but they are on order from my local comic shop. Nice. Even and poison Ivy curses. I, no curses here because I know that the only place you can get that one is through your local comic shop. So I did place an order oh. for for Poison Ivy. Yes, she is okay. a comic shop exclusive. Yes, fantastic. Yes, I got to order. I got to get that. I got to get that. So moving on from uh, Funkos to books, we have this book today. It was very funny because you chose Batman: Child of Dreams, but it wasn't just like that quick of a decision. I do believe you called me. And we talked for 25 mm-hmm. minutes of mm-hmm. possibly what Batman book, because there's an infinite amount, which is true. Yeah, I don't there's know an infinite amount. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if you know this, but there's there's a, a couple of Batman books out there to choose from. Yes, but you chose Child of Dreams. One which a little a little bit of background is that I do think that it is kind of forgotten and it is underrated, much like tonight's uh, guest Ryan Haas and the story it's because it's I think a turnoff in a sense is because it's manga it was initially mm. published in Japan in oh, a was this, monthly is this, is this a uh, gosh I'm so sorry for keep, to continually interrupt you but is this no, is this is this topic is this why you kind of brought up Batman Beyond because it's something that you were kind of like eh, but and then you got it anyway is it kind of like like that but for this you know what I just have those kind of accidents all the time. Whatever mm-hmm. my brain's thinking, it mm-hmm. all makes sense. It's all connected. That's exactly mm-hmm. why I brought up Batman Beyond. Exactly mm-hmm. why. It all makes mm-hmm. sense. So, yeah, thank you. Um, can't get anything past you. This book, I had no idea. I thought that it was just a book done in a manga style sold in the U.S., but no. 
four years before it was sold in the U.S. It ran in a monthly magazine in Japan, then was collected and reissued in two-part graphic novel form before finally, in 2003, being published in one graphic novel for the United States. Mm -hmm. And this book is not on DC Universe. Cannot find it digitally. Right now, you can buy used copies, I think, for pretty affordable prices. Yeah, like 20 bucks or something. Yeah, Yeah, a soft cover or a hard cover, but that's kind of it. So the exposure of this book itself is, is hidden, non-existent, if you will. Do you remember when you first came across child of dreams what's your story with batman child of dreams uh i do remember and one of the reasons why i uh picked this story is because because i i have heard you mention this before so i knew you had it it and was so, in one of the q a episodes that's that's knew. that's when it was yes so i was like no oh, i've got that book probably we're probably one of the only two people in our circle that has mentioned it <laughs> Because yeah, it is kind of a forgotten thing, and you have. And if you somebody hasn't read it, you might have to describe exactly what it is you're talking about before somebody knows what it. Or yeah, of course, we have the internet; you can look it up. But yeah, so like you said, this book came out in the U.S. in what 2003. Yeah, in 2003, I was. We were because we're pretty much the same 15. age. What? I was about 15. Yeah, we were 15. So. Every summer, we, uh, not, we, not, not you and me, but we as in my family would, uh, not that you're not my family, Lauer, but we would go to, <laughs> we would go to the, uh, go to the beach. And, you know, that's the thing that people used to do <laughs> when mm-hmm. there's not a movement yeah. going on. <laughs> we oh, would do those this were the thing. days. <laughs> I'm about to, everything I'm about to say was, will sound so archaic to people of the, of the 2020s, but in 20 years, the- when people are listening to this episode, they're going to be like, wow, these historic yeah. figures used to go outside. We would go to the beach mm. and the best thing about the beach to 15 year old Ryan Haas was of course, not the beach, not the sand was the fact that we got to go shopping. Alfred, let's go shopping. We <laughs> would, you know, I grew up in a smaller Eastern Tennessee town. So when you go to the beach, there's things on the beach, like, like shops. And back then they had like giant bookstores and uh, media stores, right. Where you could get gra- big graphic novels and, and, and soundtrack CDs and things like that. So my one time a year at the beach would always be that my opportunity to get things that I normally couldn't get at home. Like, and that's where I would find, get things like the, like the mask of the phantasm CD soundtrack or the relatively obscure score soundtrack CDs for things like back to the future three, like th- normal things a 15 year old kid would like to go by. So, during one of those trips is when I um, I saw Batman Child of Dreams. It must have just come, come out or something. And I just remember seeing, you know, they the store had just a, a big section of, um, of graphic novels. And that was one of the newer ones. And it looked super interesting because the cover, the cover is a little deceptive. It's not, I mean, which I, I assume is probably intentional. Right. Because it's made this whole book is is a is a Japanese creation that has been not overly tailored to American audiences, but it's been translated. It's been it's been adapted for an American audience. And so Mm -hmm. part of that is this cover, which is done by the artist. Yes. But, you know, as in most Japanese comics, the the book is in black and white. So the the but the cover is this nice painted thing. And it's got really cool like Keaton vibes to it. Almost 
Batman Arkham looking, mm-hmm. the games, Batman Arkham games, which is, of course, years before those came out. And I just thought it looked interesting. It looked cool. I believe I think it, they might have sealed copies, but they had one that was out. So I flipped through it and I was like, oh, this is this is like a Japanese manga. And I, and I hadn't hadn't been and never have really been super into Japanese comics, but they are still appealing to me. It's a cool and interesting art form. And so, so yeah, so I just got it at, at one of those trips just because it was new. It was interesting. It was obviously unlike your normal comic book off the rack or whatever, or at a comic book store. And it was hardcover. So whenever something's in hardcover, you know, it's important. Oh, yeah. So you got to get that hardcover. So, so that's what, that's when I got it. And uh, I read it you know, at the beach, you know, in the hotel, you know, not on the beach. I just stayed in the hotel, read the book <laughs> and uh, had a good old time. Right. And Best um, vacation ever. Yeah. Um, so that's when I read it. I might I may have read it one other time since. But other than that, I hadn't really re experienced Batman Child of Dreams until here now here for this podcast. Very similar to my story. If everything was wrong (laughs) so so i just i remember i started working and once i started having my own money i was so excited and getting to getting to spend my money i wanted to buy things well now that is that we do have the same story whenever ryan gets a job and he gets money what does he do he he buys batman stuff so i was anything i saw batman i i snatched up so that's how i saw child of dreams i ended up in a borders bookstore so it was an hour drive to get to a I'm pretty sure uh, I'm pretty sure borders. I got this one at borders too. Oh my gosh. We're, we're the same. We're we're the same split right down the center. center. I'll be Catwoman (laughs) in this case. I don't care. Um, But mine was at borders. I think I had like $22 on me. And so who, I don't know which adult I was with my, one of my parents or an uncle. And I was just kind of like, if tax takes it over 22, can you spare me? And they were like, yes, because it was just a Batman book that I don't have. Okay, somehow I saw this yeah. one, and I'm like, and when are you ever going to get see it again? So that was kind of how I fell into Child of Dreams. Because full disclosure, and still, I'm not saying anything negative about it. Manga and anime just isn't my cup of tea. It's just not my style. So to open this and look at that, it was kind of like, oh, it's if anything, if I can jump into any manga, it's definitely it'd be Batman, and this definitely looks. What do you want to say? American enough, which is again, not to say that anything's wrong with Japanese. It's just, it's like, okay, it's stylized yes. closer to a U.S. kind of with an like anime inspiration. I can get behind this. And so, it's so, Batman. So, so like, I, like I was saying, like you go down the list of things that they have done to Americanize the, the book, right? It's, yes. it's hardcover. It's, 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 it's most manga as, um, is a smaller size, right? They are, they are, you know, built for this, um, multiple volume release thing. Like you said, this was originally released in a magazine and then they released it in, um, you know, collective form later. And that's, that's kind of how American comics are made. But when they release manga in Japan, you know, a lot of them are at a smaller size. So they have blown it up to, a regular comic book hardcover size. They have, it has the painted color cover. And of course the, the more accepted today thing for, for manga is that, you know, in Japan, they read things from 
right to left and comics go that way too. You start reading it at the end of the book and you go the, the other way. But in today's translated manga, keep that um, format. But for this, that was released almost darn near 20 years ago. What they did is they flipped the art so it can be read at the American regular American left to right style. So you can open the book like a normal American book and you can read mm-hmm. it. And they also had, had the, it's not just translated um, like from the scripts. They had Max Allen Collins take the, the literal translation of the script and Americanize it enough, you know, but still maintain the integrity of the story. And they painstakingly removed the Japanese onomatopoeia from the book and replaced it with American lettering. So there is absolutely a, an Americanized sheen that has gone over this book to, you know, just to probably a twofold thing, right. To like bring it to, to bring it to America, but also to kind of bridge the gap for people like you and me at the time, you know, we were obviously the intended audience to, Uh to, to experience the thing. And in my opinion, it doesn't, it doesn't really take away from it. It it maintains the art artistic integrity of the book. And I wouldn't be surprised. And I'm pretty sure the book was made knowing that would be the end goal. And of course, it's a Batman book. So that's already got this inherent American flavor to it because it's Batman first and foremost. Yeah. So uh, the written and drawn by Kia Asamiya. I that's I apologize if that's not how it's actually pronounced in which there's a little interview with him in the back in which I believe he even mentioned how it was a you could almost call it like an international project because between him and meeting with people in DC comics and him coming to New York to, you know, take pictures and stuff because that's such an influence on Gotham city. And so he wanted to do that. And also I think you could tell from the cover of the book is it's, it's weird to me, but it's not in how that cover, it looks like Batman 89. And then to hear that the, the awesome, he loves Batman 89. Like that was so left such an impression on him. And I think that's very reflective in the story, in the cover by far, I think the mm-hmm. most, I guess say it now, even though this is hard to track down, we're talking spoilers. So uh, maybe yeah. stop pause now. If you want to reread it first, track it down and read it before we talk about it, because uh, it's kind of, we're going full steam ahead. The story in a nutshell, which is also, of course, I bought the thing because we just said why we bought it. Oh, I have money. Which Batman gotta buy it? What I would say, what I would say, I might be jumping the gun here, Lauer, but but I would say, if you want to get an idea of what this book is like plot wise, what I would do is go watch. Batman versus Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, the movie. Oh my gosh! Yes. And then and then watch Batman Ninja, and smush them together, and you kind of get this book. Genius, genius. That's brilliant. Yeah, I think that's that's a that's a good one. I thought this would it lead into some good discussion, but yes. Yeah. Now that I've interrupted, so let's talk about the Ninja Turtles. So the Ninja Turtles. <laughs> Pbri. No, but I think that that's a great. I don't know if that just came to you or if you've been sitting on that ever since we ended our phone call to that. We were going to talk about this. Oh no, that's, that's been brewing since I started reading the book. Um, you told me you, you jogged my memory on what it, 
was about because I only remembered little bits and pieces of, of scenes. But once I started mm-hmm. to read it, I'm like, oh, man, this is like that. And this is like that, you know. Yeah, it's so it's funny. We, here we are 17 years later after the first reading. As soon as I read it the first time, like I've never forgotten what this book's about. Mm. So I think that's very telling also uh, is how it can. It definitely stood out because though I didn't make the the connections, uh, remember specifically the connections. It's just like, you know, at the snap is like, what's child of dreams about? Oh, it's basically about how somebody's made a drug that people can take to turn into one of Batman's rogues villains, like mm-hmm. to perfection. But the, the, the cost is that they end, they end up basically melting into a mummy and dying a couple hours later. So their last thing that they do alive is to be one of these villains and Batman's tracking down what happened. I, I think I loved it because in a way, we got to see our favorite rogues villains, even though that's not exactly true. But yes, it is true. I mean, we do actually get to see the Joker as well as the quote unquote Joker. And then this this cool through line leading to the reason this is happening, which we'll get to eventually. So other than like the story itself, I think that's kind of there's a better way to word it than I just did. But the story itself is kind of simple. I think it's not too convoluted. And then the pacing helps because it isn't bogged down by long monologues, long interior, you know, uh, interior dialogue or settings or stuff. This, I think the book just, it moves and it's 338 pages. And I don't think that there's a slow, a slow part in the whole story. It's a pretty fast read for how it's 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 the just the right length I would say you know uh-huh. it's 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 a fast read but it's also dense yeah but it it's 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 got a really cool pace to it it's not over overly wordy like or overly texty like something like uh, the Dark Knight Returns and it's not a splash page after splash page like a like a Tom King Batman run or something like that it's it's got a cool vibe to it yeah and I think it starts out the gate it does. Basically what what movies do, what mm-hmm. new TV series do, and that we attach ourselves with somebody representative of the audience, in which the opening of the book is this this new character, Yuko Yagi, who is coming to Gotham City in hopes of I mean, she's delusional. She's gonna score an interview with Batman, because that's what Batman does. But she is us in like, oh, following her to Gotham. Batman's established. It's the Japanese Vicky Vale. Exactly. Yes, exactly. That's, I think that's another almost influence of 89 is, oh, we're following a reporter. Yuko Yagi, parenthesis, Vicky yeah. Vale. And a, and a lot of, a lot of these things, and, and that whole conceit of, of the Japanese film crew coming to America to, mm-hmm. to, um, interview Batman or, or involved with Batman that it kind of, um, yeah, like it's, it's a focal point for the character, but a lot of that too, I think is this was like, we've said this was first published, published in Japan. So just imagine yourself as a Japanese version of Ryan Lauer. And it's, it could have been easier for, for a Japanese person reading this to, to slowly be get into the story that way wouldn't you say? And the way that Batman is introduced, it's not like they show the Wayne's getting murdered all over again, but the way Batman himself is introduced and presented is perhaps 
a little more explicit than you would you would expect because it's almost like they they want to make sure like people reading this might not know who batman is you know that that, because like maybe every japanese manga is not batman like people probably know batman in japan obviously but but exactly what who he is and what, what he's about um maybe not so um that's kind of the way it gets presented and it did make me think of a lot of of batman ninja because batman ninja the the animated film it was made with um it was a a film about batman made by japanese creators and the chief thing that they did was they they respected that batman himself but they took a japanese approach to it and, and injected a lot of japanese culture into it and there's not as much of that in this book but it is definitely an element of this book and and that's why those two things you know kind of seemed like they had a similar you know setup going into it mm-hmm. well and I, I just like the pacing of it's not like the first page boom batman mm-hmm. in your face it is mm-hmm. the introduction with yuko who's in the you know the uh, in the airport flying to gotham a couple pages to establish that and then boom we're into we're into Batman, into Gotham City, and oh shit, something's going on. Oh, it's Two Face. Oh hell, us Batman fans know who Two Face is. Oh, we we follow along with Yuko into the the situation where it's Two Face, seeming as we know, flipping a coin, violent, and then like Batman makes his entrance, which is a great two page <laughs> splash page of like boom, there's Batman, yo yo, and then. This is like the first part that we see that something is up because Two-Face kind of isn't acting like himself, but it's the, the pacing. So I'm just really big in, on pacing for uh, a comic story for sure and how it's okay. Here's planting the seeds. Something's not right, but it's not overly uh, explicit of like beating over the head of like, you get that reader? This looks like Two-Face, but there's something up here. It may as, not be Two-Face. As a kid, when I, well, as a 15 year old, Ryan, when I first read this, I was as like a young man, as a young man, there we go. As a young boy, uh, <laughs> when I was a detective and not yet the sheriff, I, um, That's right. <laughs> I, uh, I was like, I know what's wrong with this picture. It's because Two Face's face is flipped, so that means that he's the fake Two Face. But then you know, oh. you get to the end of the book, and you don't know what what Japanese comics are about and how they're made. It's like, oh, and that's the t- that's one of the major telltale things in this book is that you wouldn't normally know that the book has been flipped, but Two Face exposes that because of the way the character is constructed. When you flip the page, you can't avoid. Two faces, scarred face being on the wrong side, but but at, when when you read it, it is you do have to know that going in, or else you might think that that is deliberate in terms of like, oh, his face is flipped. Is that something I'm supposed that's supposed to feed into this notion that mm-hmm. he's that something's wrong with Two Face about about this Two Face? But it's it's not supposed to be. Mm-hmm. So Two Face starts us off. Some of the other rogues that we see are Penguin, Riddler, Joker. And Scare- is there a scarecrow in here? No, for scarecrow. like a panel. Did I for- did I just I make that up? I don't think so. I think you're making shit up. A- I might be. I've read a lot of Dropping comics in the your past. Audio. There's um. We're, we're remember Riddler, 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 and, <laughs> Riddler and Penguin shows up show up very very briefly. Yeah, those are those are quick ones. I don't 
I, I mean, I don't have a problem with how, like, how quick it was, but it was just like, oh, okay, well, here's here's a couple more, same mm-hmm. same result. Yada, yada, yada. Uh, so those are like the Rogue's versions, which, I mean, drawn exactly how you'd expect them to be. Very cool. I like them. I like it. I mean, some supporting cast, we get just the right amount of Alfred, but he doesn't get any, you know, he doesn't get any big scenes. Gordon comes in and out. Gordon definitely kind of seems a little bit of like a dick, <laughs> but he's not, he's not having any of this business with Yuko and her producer more on him in a second. I just, her, I just she producer and cameraman and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. Whenever, whenever that part of the book happens, this particular book, it's kind of fun to read it out loud because it, it makes me envision that this is, this could be like a, an animated you know, mm-hmm. Japanese anime and the characters have ha- kind of talk in a, in a, when they translate, when, when you watch something like that, they have to say the same stuff that they say in Japanese in the same amount of time. <laughs> you know what mm-hmm. I mean? So that contributes yeah. to a certain stylistic way that those shows kind of go. And so it's kind of fun to read it out loud that way because it just helps with the vibe for me of a book like this. And so whenever commissioner Gordon pops up, it does seem like he's like the he's the hard hitting guy that shows up. That's like, what are you doing here? You can't do this here. You need to get out of here. You can't, you know. And it's just kind of a, yeah. a fun character. get this and, get this hothead out of here. Where's my exactly, exactly, guy? Exactly, exactly. He's like that. this one for sure. Yeah, he is the Foley, and um, and he has a very he has a very specific look to him. He always it's like he's his face is always facing towards a way where the the glare on his glasses only covers up one eye and you always see the other eye it almost looks like an eye patch but it's it's just a stylistic choice yeah of course there's no surprise that uh, this young reporter wants an interview with batman somehow she's gonna end up getting mingled with bruce wayne of course now i just read this but i also okay so yuko is walking in gotham by herself and Bruce just, he sees, uh-oh, some guys are trapping her. Alfred, swing right. by and I'll pick her up. And that's kind of their you know, happenstance. Even though Bruce, I guess, he was like, I need to figure out more of this this reporter when he's Batman. But as far as to Yuko, it was just happenstance that Bruce Wayne picked her up, right? Yes. Okay. Yeah, she's just walking around. And, and, <laughs> and I was kind of impressed with the way that See, that's the thing. It would be interesting to go back to Batman Ninja animated for a second. That is really fascinating as well. And that's a, it's a, yet another comparison I bring to this book because for Batman Ninja, there are two versions of it you can watch on the American uh, Blu-ray. They, mm-hmm. The Japanese creators made a whole story and that story is translated a hundred percent in the subtitles. You can choose like Japanese subtitles and you'll have like the Japanese voices and you can read in English those translated Japanese subtitles. But what they also did was um, they got American uh, writers to adapt that for America. And they changed a lot of stuff. They changed things people say and, and, and cultural references and things like that to make it Americanized. And that's what they had the, american voice actors say so there are in in essence two two different versions of that film you can watch so 
Is the Japanese it, version longer? It's no, it's the same ver it's the same movie. Just substituting instead of saying like I, I don't know. A fast food place that's only in Japan, scratch that and they throw in McDonald's for the American version. Something like that. That's simple. Yeah, there's like a, a okay. it's, it's one example it's is like when, when, yeah, when like Joker's bouncing around uh, uh, chasing Batman in the woods or something, he says something to Batman like he makes like a reference to like Japanese school uniforms or school mm-hmm. kids or something like that. That wouldn't really translate and and they replace it with like a funny quip or something like that, you know? So it would be interesting to see that approach for this book because I, f- I figure there might be some things like that in here, but uh, what stands out right now, what uh, I was, what I was wrong. The Joker says Hannibal Lecter, doesn't he? Yeah, there's some, there's some references. There are some, uh, pop culture references in the book but, after but what I, the fake yeah after the fake joker batman goes to see the real joker and it's kind of like hey what is going on here yeah and i could have swore i mean i'm scanning really quick right now i thought i thought he said something about him being the hannibal lecter carry there, on but but the thing that impressed me translation wise is there are a, there, there's quite a few things in the book that I feel really land or are, are, are really um, like well thought out or well written. And that whole scene with, with Bruce Wayne saving um, Yuko, Yuko. Yeah. Saving Yuko. I thought was really well done because you know what, what is going to about to happen to her, but they're not very explicit with it. And she runs down the street and she's like, Oh, where, where are the cops in this city? Uh, there's a dead. Let's see if I can talk my way out of becoming a statistic. I mean, there's things like that that I'm like, okay, that's, that's clever. That's, that's well done. And there, there's things like that. A lot of things like well, that I'm, in the book. So I'm glad the, the relationship between Bruce and Yuko, it, it doesn't go the stereotypical way, which oh. good because it doesn't really add up. If you come to think about it, because it, throughout the story, you kind of see where, of course, as anybody kind of would, they're in the presence of the Bruce Wayne, handsome billionaire built like a, like, like you know, like a Ben Affleck. Yeah, damn right. Like like Ben Affleck, um, <laughs> the only true Batman. And like she's like ooh ah, like you know stuff like that. But we find out that she's been to Gotham City before, and she was just right. a little girl. And her parents, she, they were about to get mugged, and Batman came in and saved the day. So even if that's Batman at his, I don't know, I'm gonna say his earliest days, which is mid twenties. They, I mean, they literally say in the book, we were one of the first people Batman to see helped or whatever. Yeah. So, no, it's not uncommon like these days. So let's just say that she was six there and he's 25. That's 19 year difference. That's like people that are 30 date and marry people that are 49, etc. But there's just right. something with me that seems like, oh, she's so young, just breaking into the reporting. And then Bruce's established prime in his prime Batman. Yeah. This doesn't to me that just almost almost past his prime Batman, the way that people talk to him or the villains talk to him in the story too. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, you get that, but it definitely keeps its, it keeps its, uh, it keeps its distance in a sense. Bruce, it's almost like he's, he interviews her. Until it doesn't. Is what? It keeps its distance until it doesn't. I mean, there's things towards the end of the, I mean, they, they don't go all the way or whatever, but they, they, they don't have the Vicky get drunk, sleeping together and 
Bruce well, taking pills, like, you know, stuff like that. Or taking pills in this book, Lauer. She gets, she gets, she gets, she does. I mean, but they subvert it. It's not exactly stereotypical, but and they do things that have subverted it. And and it, part of me wonders if it was on purpose to subvert it, or if it's just more of of some of these Japanese manga storytelling tropes. Because at one point, uh, Yuko gets, um, she gets drugged and gets. Now I'm jumping way ahead, but she gets no, drugged and she gets um she ends up being one of the final adversaries. She gets uh, for Bruce Batman. She gets turned into, turned into a a version of Catwoman, basically. Yes. And, and, and Batman saves her. And when she's bringing her out, he's bringing her out of the, her, the spell or whatever of the drugs, she does kind of almost come on to Batman, you know, Mm -hmm. she's like, you saved me from, you know, when I was a kid and I wasn't able to repay you back, but maybe now I can, (laughs) you know, (laughs) But it, and I was like, "Whoa!" I didn't remember that from when I was a kid. When I read that as a kid, but and of course she they they do get the kiss in at the very very end. But of course, but if you look at it, it's not like Bruce's playboy and her even the kiss itself. Correct. He's just kind of like, "Oh hell!" Um, yeah, they, they they are actually both very driven individuals in this book. Like yeah. she's very driven to be a reporter and to get the Batman interview. And he's very driven to solve the mystery, but they're also yeah, kind of driven to each other. And it, it really isn't that unsimilar from, from the Bruce and Vicky relationship in a lot of mm-hmm. ways. It's just like the romance, if you will, is, is tuned down, which it's, of course, at this point, like these days, now we're beyond the damsel in distress purpose only of mm-hmm. main female mm-hmm. characters. I think at this time, maybe we were in 2000, or the initial story, 99, maybe we were starting to get in a transitional period, not to over-dramatize like, any of that, but it's just like, I never felt in this, Yuko is essential to the story. As yes. our gateway into this universe, uh, she's essential in Bruce, or trying to tell the story of Batman, and the effects on Gotham, and then from Bruce's angle, is she's the link to what the hell is going on in Gotham, yeah. and not just she's Gotham. She's the second most important character. Yeah, she's the second most important character in the story. Yep. Or or maybe even equal to Batman, honestly, yep. in this story. Yeah. Before we get to the, what do you want to say? The big reveal on how she's such a link is, it's almost like there's a, there's a really great halftime show, which I imagine at the end of this was where it was the end of the volume one, you know, because it was, con- it was collected I, I released two parts. right before. I mean, half the book takes place in Gotham and the other half takes place in Japan. And I figured that's that's where the two halves would be. Yeah, that'd be that'd be my guess as well. But what we find out is that Yuko's producer, who is the so Yuko's little crew is being sponsored by her uncle, who is a huge pharmaceutical guy in Japan funding everything uh, because it's her it's his niece and we don't know that's who Yuko's producer who's with her is answering to at first, but we know he's kind of answering to somebody and it comes to, comes to light. He took some of the pills and he became Batman. So right there about halfway through the book, we get a spectacular Batman versus Batman Mm -hmm. fight. This is after all the, uh, the rogues minus Catwoman yet, but after Batman's taken down all the, uh, all these rogue clones, if you will, it is like 
like I'm flipping through it now and it's great. He's got Yuko in the Batmobile as they're going and she yells like there's something in the street and it's just a shadowy, a shadowy uh, Batman. And it's like, so I think, so Asamiya's versions of Batman, the fake one and the real ones are really cool, but it's almost like this little slouch, you know, he's got like this slouch in a lot of like the panels, which is actually kind of cool. Mm-hmm. it's distinct it's it's kind of original it's the smallest thing it's definitely a nerd looking into this too much but it's like that could look like shit it could be really like <laughs> i like it but this is just really cool and then what happens like over the length of hell i don't know how many pages 20 30 it's, it's just a like a really fight. yeah yeah it's an awesome like multi-panel action yeah. beat on every page and it's just it's just really cool. I just really like it. And it's Batman versus Batman. So, I mean, in a graveyard <laughs> <Batman wins. laughs> and then what in a graveyard in a graveyard. Yeah. I mean, that's, what's kind of funny. It's like ha- starts in the road and then it's like, Hey, uh, let's end this in the graveyard. And it's like, okay, <laughs> yeah. right. you will not leave this graveyard. So, so some of the 95% of the dialogue totally works for me. There's some chummy Batman lines in this that I'm yeah. a little like, Man. there's some things that jump out that Batman says that I'm like, I don't know if Batman. I don't know if any iteration of Batman would say this this way. Yeah. It's, it's like he, he watched some Spider-Man and was like, I can be quippy <laughs> too. Heard some Robin. And he's like, <laughs> I've got a, there's or no problem here. Almost like a, you came back to die with your city. No, mm. I get back to stop you. Get back to stop you. Uh, you didn't have to say that, but okay, that's your big line before you start punching <laughs> and picking again. I mean, okay, minor. I wouldn't even say complaint. Yeah, it's kind of like, are you? It's like <laughs> no. Bane, Bane here. Where's Hawks? Bring him back. You should have. You should have blown up more than two tanks. <laughs> <laughs> I think so instantly what I see you said uh, a little like the Arkham video games mm-hmm. is it pops in my head the main Arkham Asylum like the the start menu and it's a Batman Batman side profile shot in front of a big moon and mm. in this one especially the moon is freaking huge <laughs> it's it's all over in this graveyard fight too and some of it pops up like right next to like a you know a cowl outline and stuff like that and so i mean it's it's nerdy and then the big there's this big uh shot let's see 144 and 145 of real batman kicking fake batman in front of the big ass moon and i mean it's cool but that to me is where i see the whole arkham like oh that makes me think arkham and who the hell knows if anybody related it you know, in making the Arkham Asylum game, it's just that's what I instantly thought of in looking back on this now. Mm. So that's you know the where we pretty much are sure. Right after that is the okay, we're going from Gotham to Japan. Makes sense how that happens. Although nobody in the history of Batman can ever put together, gee, all of a sudden Bruce Wayne's in Japan. Oh, so, so is Batman. Is Batman. Well, Bruce Wayne was in Londinium, but so was Batman, and so was Aunt Harriet. I don't have that happen. (laughs) Well, that's weird. But if anything, I'd say the second half of the book, Mm -hmm. I wouldn't say it's maybe just a little slower. The first, the first half really sets up. I would say it's wordier, maybe. Yeah, 
Because there's a lot of ground that they cover. They that you go through all the villains and the action in the Gotham portion, and then you get like the the what and the where, and then in the second half you get like the why and the how before you get the the final battle. So it it feels slower because you're in Japan. You're not in Gotham City. Your Batman's out of his element. There's no more Batman villain quote unquote villains for a while until you get to the Catwoman stuff. And it, it is a lot of like re reprising a lot of what you've seen in the Gotham sections, but in Japan with Bruce coming back and talking to the pharmaceutical people and going back out with Yuko. And, and, and it, there's a lot of backstory that they have to get through. You know, it's almost like if there, if this was a, a show or, or, or episodic, um, which of course it was, it'd be like, there's a whole episode that just focuses on like, let's just talk for this episode and give some backstory about why we're here and who might be doing this and stuff. In looking at it, it's out of the last hundred pages, 30 is the fight with Catwoman, And then 60 is the, you know, is the main villain, the one behind it all. So, I mean, out of a hundred and, roughly like 170 pages, a hundred of those are two fights. So then, okay, well, what's the other 70? It's Bruce, Bruce's quote unquote reason for being in, in uh, Japan and meeting with Yuko's uncle, Mr. Tamioka. And that's a creepy guy. And he is apparently only 46 years old, but you look at any pictures of him. This dude looks like he's knocking on 75's door. Yeah. And at this point in the story, we see, I mean, I do not remember like specifically my feelings of the first time reading it, but I mean, they, they don't have really the big reveal. It's like definitely feeding you along during that first half. Like, I I don't know the actual moment where it's kind of like, oh, wait, I think that's her uncle. And then it just kind of feeds you more of like, yep, that's her uncle. Yep. That's her uncle to where once you get, once Bruce gets to Japan in their interview, it's like. Oh yeah, he's the bad guy. He knows that Bruce is Batman, and this is some interesting dialogue. So yes, it's dialogue yeah. heavy, but it's also it's like yeah, it's that's kind of interesting. that's 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 one thing that that that's the one setup they do that you're waiting to pay off because in the Gotham City section, Batman has to take Yuko back to the Batcave, much like Vicky Vale, right in Batman eighty nine, and and he's like your camera's busted just like in Batman 89. And then she's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, and then, but like part of it still works. Right. And so she's like still doing some stuff, being a reporter, trying to get some information. And then, and then unbeknownst to her, the man behind the screen figures out that, Oh, Bruce Wayne's Batman. And so you're like, Ooh, how's that going to come back? Um, you know, later on. And so, so that is the one thing in the, that second half that I kept being like, okay, Where's that going to come into play? Where's that going to come into play? Because, you know, they're going to wait for the just the right time to reveal that, you know. So we get to, we're just jumping right to the end, which is Batman knows that it's the uncle. He's going to his house in which his house is in front of like the factory or something. It's, it's massive. It's a massive thing. Well, the reason that it's massive is because the uncle has replicated like all elements of Batman's world, including a cave and including in a fun peril or panel, which he did. He oh, beat Sean including, the Funko Pops. <laughs> including the Funko. He's probably got him. He was ahead of the game. Uh, yeah. Asamiya beat Sean Murphy 
and by quite a few years in putting all of the Batmobiles. That's in true. Some of the, in in the cave, like there's this one panel on page. Yeah. Yeah, in two seventy eight, you get to see the sixties car, like the forties Batmobile from the comics, and and there's one other one I can't quite make of it, but it's just kind of like, oh, I see what you're doing, and that's really cool. I'm cool with that. And then you see, there's you know, there's some suits, some suits and some, uh, I want to say preserved or created on display, and Batman makes the discovery that oh, there's all this you know Joker DNA, Two Face DNA, and then Batman DNA DNA because Mister Tomioka is Batman, and he's got this, this stupid obsession that he just wants to be just like Batman because he loves Batman so much, and he's gonna kill Batman and be the new Batman. Okay. The design of this new Batman is kind of weird. <laughs> it's like he, he shredded a trench coat and uh, a multi-layered trench coat and then put on a bat suit underneath it. It's, I mean, it is, it's like, it's like if you, it's like you take Batman and it, it is this whole final fight is reminiscent to me on a spiritual level to, to the Batman Azrael fight in Night's End, mm-hmm. in a lot of ways, and it feel and I think that that's not that's probably not unintentional in in some ways. I think that's a little unavoidable, and and that is kind of what this Batman looks like. It's an armored Batman with kind of a weird ja- Japanese, you know, Shogun type of vibe, right? Like it blows my mind. So you brought up you brought up Nightfall, and. Yes. This, I'll say, so this guy wants to be, I'm better than you. I am just flat out better than you. Yes. I'm going to make sure that I have more armor than you and that I'm taking the pills that he, have mastered, that he has mastered that kind of de-ages him and makes him younger. And that's how he's going to beat Batman because he's got such an ego. Just like Bane, so part of the first volume of Nightfall, who just wants to break Batman and best Batman. But what's he do? He releases everybody. And wouldn't you, if you want to be the best, wouldn't you want to beat the best at their best? At his best, yes. Like that is, it's it doesn't ruin shit for me, but it is always in the back of my mind of kind of like, that's where it doesn't always work for me 100%. But it's also, eh, what, I mean, whatever. Well, because that all goes down to the, I will break you. And so breaking isn't one. It's like over, you know, systematic. It's like the Court of Alice thing, too. It's like, well, we, we did it slowly over time. And you didn't even know it was us. Or maybe you did, but you couldn't oh. stop me. So the this fight with Batman 2.0, I mean, it's a long one. And our Batman gets his ass kicked. I mean, he's not even that egotistical, you know, like Bruce initially is in The Dark Knight Rises. This guy, he's normal Batman, but he's like, yeah, he's, I don't think he's getting any upper hands in any of this. It's a really cool, I mean, because we've already seen a Batman versus Batman fight in this book. So we've got to up it somehow in which they kind of do with, I mean, a Batcave at disposal, a Batcave 2.0 at their disposal and... I mean, it really is a riff off of the Nightfall thing because it's Batman versus Batman in the Batcave talking about philosophical differences between like the old Batman's way and the new Batman's way. Yeah, or the old and the new. On page page 292, Batman 2.0 even says, it's a new age with new needs. Like that's literally something that, um, you know, John Paul Valley Batman would say, you know, I'm a Batman for the new era. I'm a Batman for the 90s, you know, like... I mean, he said certain things that are that are close to that. 
So, yeah, I and the, I mean, the ultimate downfall is that he gets Batman two point gets. I'm trying to see here. Isn't he like he gets smashed into the wall? Of, of all yeah. the DNA of all the people. And I was like, oh man, is there going to be like a weird clay face moment? Like the animated series where he like morphs into all, all these different villains and stuff, but it doesn't really play out that way. But no, he just does. Just, like, he gets a little jokery maybe. Yeah. But he also kind of reverts back to him, his regular old and busted self. Yep. On page 317, he looks kind of like red rain vampire Batman. Yeah. Good call. But I, it, ultimately, he has the same fate as the others do. He just doesn't mm-hmm. go 100% mummified, but then he tries to blow up. Or I guess he does. Yeah. I mean, I, he, he sets a, a final death trap, as he says, for Batman and blows up his cave. And then you get a couple panels where it just looks like he's definitely turned into, mm-hmm. turned into a mummy. But I mean, yeah, see, I'm getting a little distracted now because I'm like, oh, yeah, that's a cool panel. Oh, yeah, that's cool. Yeah. Panel. And the Batmobile. <laughs> The Batmobile looks kind of different, whether it's the the angle from the front or the side. Because from the side and sometimes from over the top, it definitely looks 89 heavy. Yeah. And then like some from the front, it's like, oh, no, that doesn't really look like 89. And then you go to another shot and it's like from the side. Oh, yeah, that kind of looks like the 89 Batmobile. I don't know. It's a really cool Batmobile design, though. Yeah. Say that. There's just not enough. I mean, maybe I missed when this book came out that they, maybe they made Batmobiles about it. Pete Vera loves to collect Batmobiles. So maybe he'd be, there is, there is a whole little toy line or a little (gasps) statue figure line of this, of this series. Yeah. Even, Uh, even, even the, uh, they have most of the Batman and the villains. They even have Batman 2.0. I forget what, what they call him, but they also have, maybe they call him Japanese Batman or something, but, uh, I draw the line on which kind of Funkos I get, but anything Batman Child of Dreams, I'm spending my money <laughs> on. I just spent my entire savings getting the back catalog of all of the Child of Dreams action figures and Batmobiles. So to cap, let's cap the... So the ending is just, I mean, Yuko saved Bruce and she kisses him and she, she reveals uh, like, Batman well, saved me when I was a kid. And like, she, like Bruce... Find, finds that out like mm-hmm. and she has a dream about it first and then she ends up telling him that yeah and then bruce ends up watching her as a reporter on a gnn while he's sitting at home waiting for the love connection it is tight yeah and that is batman child of dreams in a bit of a nutshell the book overall i think it's an exceptional exceptional book I really dig it. I'm glad you chose it. Uh, I'm sorry for the people that have never read it and can't just hop on their DC universe and read it, that they're going to have to uh, track it down and buy it. I'm glad that you and I bought it when we did. Mm-hmm. Um, you keep referring to Batman Ninja. And I was going to ask, you know, initially, like I'd already thought of it before we started recording of, would you like to see this in an animated form, animated movie? Mm-hmm. And, and yeah yeah <laughs> yeah like i'm like i even mentioned it i i when i was reading the book i imagined it being animated i think this would make a really interesting animated version of of batman for i think sure. it'd get better reception than batman ninja honestly because well, it's, a lot of ways, it does it goes out of its way to 
ease in the Japanese elements for yeah. uh, slowly it's later. Like you, they, the book is, it is very clever in the way it, it like eases you into Gotham city and gives you the, the traditional Batman villains, but it also gives you a different spin on it. And it's got the Japanese connection in it too. It's, it's really well done. I think Batman Ninja, I see, I can't really remember if I even watched it a second time. I think I've watched it twice and I did like it, but definitely it was like, I'm not really into anime. Okay. Mm-hmm. Batman's the way to get me to explore that world. And at the end of Batman Ninja, I don't know, like maybe two minutes they're in Gotham city. And yeah, I, I remember heard. thinking when I watched it the first time, this I distinctly remember is this is what I'd want to see with anime. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. Mm-hmm. What if they did child of dreams in anime? Mm-hmm. So that's where I think give the same the same artists that were behind Batman Ninja give them, I don't know how that did. I don't know how to look that up financially as far as selling, you know, if they're right, like, oh, no, it bombed, we can't do that again. But if they could, it's like, well, here you go. This is more Americanized. And that's not to say anything's wrong with, with anime. It's just a little more accessible for people that are just not into anime. And I think this is a definite good way to dip your toes into that world i would i would love it and i would pre-order it as soon as they'd announce it and i would uh get you back on here and we dissect that movie because we talked about the book <laughs> yeah so like it does have a lot of latent connections to the batman and ninja, ninja turtles the reason i brought that up is because it is another thing that has these two two different elements that are bringing together in, in child of dreams case, it's Batman and, you know, Japanese storytelling. And in Batman Ninja Turtles case, it's Batman and Ninja Turtles, but it also has that, Hey, we've got a secret formula and it turns people into animals or turns people into, into stuff, you know, and they have to, it, there's formula. They have to figure it out. They have to stop it or whatever, but there's also this really, but I already figured that thought of that, but there's also this one line like you know, on page 246. <laughs> Where a uh, Catwoman says, "What's wrong, Batman? Can't stand the heat. Get and then get out of the kitchen." And that's a that's a tried and true, you know, womp womp kind of line. But that's also in Batman versus Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Mm-hmm. So I was like, man. And there's a few other little quotes here and there that I'm like, oh, I've heard that in a Batman movie. That's kind of interesting. But and I would like to say too, this is as unique as this is when you really stop and think about it, Batman does kind of now have this growing pedigree, I guess of Mm -hmm. Japanese manga type of interaction, which is kind of a cool underserved subset. I think of, of Batman media, we've got child of dreams. We have Batman death mask, which I own, but have not read. This makes me want to go read that. Do you know what I'm talking about? Batman death mask. It's so this is the, uh, I won't admit no answer, but it sounds familiar. I can't think of it. It was released as um, comic book sized um, comics here in America, yeah. but then it was later released in America in the smaller digest size yeah. comic books. I'm looking at it now, and yeah, I, I've I'd always avoided reading it just because it was like, I mean, it was post Child of Dreams, but yet yes. I was like, nah, I don't think you I'm into it. Reading it. I don't What's that? You, you've avoided reading it, but you own it. I do not own it even. Oh, you don't own it. Okay. I know. So oh, I sure. have it. it. This makes me want to read it. I just, I don't know my own 
bias or whatever makes me feel like it probably won't be as good as of as Child of Dreams, but it but this makes me want to read it. So we've got Child of Dreams, we've got Batman Death Mask, we have Batman Ninja, we have the original Bat manga from the sixties, which is its okay. own special I, thing. Yeah. That was at the library. And yes. I remember I was like, hey, this is the way to dip into it for free. Just check it out. I've got it for three weeks. And it was actually fun. And that's, again, not to say that, it, oh, it's not good or something, but it's just not my world. And I'm like, I'm not turned away by this, except it took mm-hmm. me quite a while to realize, oh, you don't read this the American way. You got to start <laughs> from the right and go to the left. Right. And then some things made a little bit more sense to me. Yes, exactly. And of course, we've got the um, Batman Gotham Knights anim- animated anime. Mm-hmm. So, which there's a couple panels in here. I don't. That's probably the closest closest spiritual successor type of thing to this book. I would say would be the Batman Gotham Knights because that's more Batman in Gotham City ground street level crime and stuff like that. I, I would like to see, yeah, see Child of Dreams in that style of animation. I think would be really. A cool thing so anyways uh any final things that you haven't said yet about batman child of dreams uh i think i got most of it out i mean it's definitely i because it's not super accessible i do imagine most people will, will be just just happy with listening to us talk about it but if if you do want to find if you do want a batman book that is different and interesting and a fun read in a fun and interesting quick yet dense batman book this is a cool pick it's like one of those like hidden gem underrated things because of uh-huh. because of the format because it's not super accessible you can, you are going to have to kind of go out of your way to get it right now but you know if you put the effort in then uh you might come you might you might enjoy it so i would recommend it because it's 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 fun and it's different absolutely it's a great book. If you've listened this long without reading it, yeah, we kind of, sp- I mean, spoiled some things, but sometimes it's it's not the destination, it's the journey. And Child of Dreams, you'd have to hunt it down. But I mean, you type it into Amazon, you type it into eBay, there are tons of used copies. I mean, a lot of them are good and even affordable. Like one right now I'm looking at, it's $8.88. That's the hardcover. And that's in yeah. good condition. So like you have the hardcover? No, I have the soft. Oh, okay. I got and the hardcover. Sometimes sometimes I'll upgrade a hardcover if it's like like this year they come out with Child of Dreams Deluxe Edition hardcover, then I'd buy it. Because it's like, oh, it's a newer version. Maybe there's some extra stuff to it, but also, you know, these deluxe editions that DC keeps releasing now is stories on a bigger, like bigger pages. And I'm like, oh yeah, I definitely do that for Child of Dreams. But yeah, I haven't really spent the money to buy the exact same copy just in hardcover. Cause I'm like, eh, I'm still good with the soft cover, but mm-hmm. track it down for sure. Buy it, read it because I don't know. It's, it's definitely worth it. An underrated and underappreciated story that is perfectly chosen by my guest, Ryan Haas. Now I need to admit that I'm embarrassed <laughs> because I think so Last episode was Peter Vera, who's been on the show all the time. Before him was Garrett Grev, who was also been on this show a few times. So it's been a while since I've had to ask a guest on their first time on what their favorite Batman story is. So usually that's done right at the top after I introduce you. And I totally forgot that in space. So I'm so sorry. You've been sitting on it. 
been sitting on it. Like, I want to talk about my favorite, Ryan, and you're jipping me of this. That's not what I signed up for. Yeah, well, technically you have asked me that also. That we, we recorded that in the episode we talked about that we didn't release. You but I don't even remember your, your answer because I remember you started talking about a bunch of different things and you even admitted on that. of I'm just buying time as I try to figure out what is my favorite That's Batman. True. So That's so, true. You, you, so I don't you really told know. me. You told me what you thought it was, and then I said, no, that's not it. And so <laughs> I was say, you, you denied. You did not even confirm. So, Ryan Haas, what is yeah. your favorite Batman story? So, my favorite Batman story is Batman Nightfall. And and the reason is because when you say favorite, to me, I immediately, oh, this might be bad, but I jump to, like, if you're stuck on a remote island and you have one Batman story to read, what's it going to be? And for me, that's Nightfall because it's big, it's dense, you know. I can get a, if you say you, there's one story I can say, haha, but Batman nightfall, it's got three giant omnibuses. So that's a bunch of Batman story. And you know, it, it has all the villains. It has a, a good, you know, all of most, all of the, the heroes and everybody's forever changed when they come out of it. It just hits a lot of really cool emotional beats for Batman. And, and you know, I'm, I'm an Azrael fan and what <laughs> that, you're supposed to exactly, exactly, Lauer. That's what that's what Azrael's supposed to do. You're not supposed to like him. What Nightfall at its core does is it is is it's every every generation has every generation tests the validity of Batman, and so and and then there sometimes are stories that are made that try to answer that question. And I think we're kind of in that right now, you know, when, when a new Batman thing comes out or something happens, people are like, Oh, Batman again is Batman times over. Why shouldn't we just do something else? Or why, why is bat? Why is Batman so important? Why do we need Batman, 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 you know, and nightfall is that answer to that question of that era. And maybe, maybe even the best uh, expression of that. So, yeah, the the book's big and dense, and it's a big saga. But at its heart, is a very explanation uh, has a very simple like core to it of of like, well, who is Batman, and why is he Batman, and why why is Batman important? Why does Batman matter? And Nightfall does that for me, and so that's why it's my favorite Batman story. Okay, we are we are at the end of hey. Hopefully this audio does not take a big dump on us in that. Uh, yeah. We can publish Go your first your podcast ghost. This is <laughs> yeah, po- getting posted. Otherwise yeah, go- I'm going to be like, Ooh, we're on episode 87 of the book club and I'm still not on this dang show. Go haunt straight out of Gotham. Go get them. Oh, I've been haunting them for a while. I was on the first episode of that show. The first but- yeah, see, so we're, it's all, it's all connected here too, because you were the first guest on that show. Pete from straight out of Gotham was the first guest on this show. I mean, it's, <laughs> It's wild. How'd that happen? <laughs> so crazy. So like they literally are connected, all connected. It's all connected. It's all connected. So before we skedaddle, why don't you, do you have anything to plug or where can people follow you on all these podcasts well, that you're policing? I, I know you said you were embarrassed once on this show, but I would like to maybe embarrass you for a second time on the show. <laughs> Please do. Because, um, Something else you do, I don't know if you do, if you know this, Lauer, on, on your own show, but you do tend to ask people what their favorite scene and panel in the story that they've read was. <laughs> Holy shit. I've lost it. <laughs> My God. Dude, I didn't have it. 
I have I have it out here. Wow, I have you have thrown me for a loop. Yeah, so just tell me how much I care about about this show because because yeah. At least I know that you're paying attention because and you listen to the, you. I have a fan of the Batman Book Club because mm-hmm. you know no, this is not how this show goes. So, do you have a favorite part of Batman Childhood Dreams? <laughs> well, I did forget to mention. On page 206, there is a lovely, well, there is a reference to Batman Year One. It does show the Wayne murders. You get, but, you, they, but they wait, they wait until like two page 206 to tell you that. But I did just want to point that out that, yeah, like even like he also, yeah, yeah, he knows what he's pulling from, right? And in, in these, and he's paying homage to all these different areas of Batman. And of course, Year One is super influential. And it's, 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 it's interesting to see that interpreted in this book that way. But yeah. if um, but my favorite panel, I guess, would be the two-page spread on page two twenty-four and five when Batman suits up in Japan. I just think that's cool. Yeah, I think we pointed that out in the show. The Gotham Knight page. It's the Gotham Knights page. Yeah, it's just it's just cool. It's just Batman mm-hmm. in the shitty, and it's more shadow than you know form or whatever. But that's Batman. That's cool. Mm-hmm. Um. And my favorite scene, there's, I've got a a lot of favorite scenes in the book. My favorite scene that I will pick for this uh, segment here is on page 78, page 80 ish. It's that whole Joker scene, the Joker scene in there in the middle. I made a post-it note and I said, damn good dialogue. And I think I was talking about the dialogue between Batman and, and the Joker. And this isn't the fake Joker, right? This is the fake one. But but still, it's part... I don't think we touched on this so, too much in the bulk of the discussion, but we did. But when these imposter villains show up, mm-hmm. they are... What do they call them? They, they are, emo, quote, emotional parodies of themselves. So they are like heightened... I guess Batman 66 versions, almost. Like, yeah. if somebody just made up, like, oh, what would the Joker do here? It's like super heightened, right? Um... So at one point the Joker shows up and he says like uh, Batman shows up behind the Joker and he says, that can't be my shadow. And then Joker to himself says, and yet in a way it is, you know, and that's, that dialogue is cool. And it is very Batman and Joker. It speaks a lot to the heart of their conflict and it's done in a way that like, it's a very anime type of exchange, I think, but it's also very Batman. And I, I thought that was a cool, like, example to point to of, of the kind of things in this book what this book has to offer that that adds to this batman legacy because those things like that in this book tell me that like okay they know the characters they're getting this character right but they're also doing it in their own way so that's that's the book is full of stuff like that and i think that's probably why it resonated for the both of us and why i thought you know it was a good book to cover mm-hmm so it's what you say Batman 66. So I did find back when he's, when he's meeting with Joker and he says, well, now I've lost the damn page, but he did find Joker and Joker says in the same exchange, um, the real Joker, he says, uh, calls him old chum. Batman says, what can I do for you, Joker, when he shows up at Arkham to, to talk oh, to the real Joker? And he says, yeah, this is on 89. Ha! 89. 89. 
And Joker said, it's what I can do for you, old chum. And then the next panel, he even says, although it does amuse me playing Hannibal Lecter to your Clarice. So to me, that's like, oh, that's what you were mentioning earlier of Japanese versions with stuff that Japanese culture would understand. Americanized. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I'm curious if that is what it's what that would say in the Japanese, Mm -hmm. you know, and then I'd probably say, I mean, there are so many good panels, Batman and shadows. Uh, it's just awesome. That's how Batman's meant to be. So, I mean, that's all over the place. One that just popped out right away and thinking is in page 121. It just, I know it's the TV producer being Batman, but how it's when, you, you know, Hugo says Batman standing in the road and it is just the outline of the fake Batman, but it's still Batman. Something in my mind, just in picturing it when reading it is like, I could see this being awesome in live action, almost slightly horror elements, something of, Oh shit, something I don't know. Something for me that just really stands out. And then my favorite part of the book is the fight that follows. I like the midway Batman fight more than the ending battle, I think. Mm-hmm. Um I think it's I think it's scenery yeah. it is more like Batman versus Batman rather than Batman versus Batman 2.0. Um mm-hmm. scenery there in the there in the road fighting and then moving it to the graveyard with the moonlight and all that stuff. I just think that whole scene is that whole scene is awesome too. So those are mine. So thank you, Ryan Haas for, for reminding me how to do my own damn show. <laughs> of course Man, I botched this or I was just so nervous. Cause I had, cause I know my life's going to change after I publish this episode that I just wasn't. Mm, clearly. It's gotta be it. That's what it is. So now that we did that, is there anything that I left out? Uh, I don't think so. Okay. All right. So, Hey, do you have anything you want to plug or talk about where people can follow you, etc.? Well, I have too many things I do and too many things to plug, but I'll do my best. So you can follow me, Ryan Haas, on Twitter at SMB underscore Ryan. The SMB, of course, stands for the Super Mario Brothers, the movie archive website, which I founded and helped run, which you can find on Twitter. You can find that on Twitter at SMB Movie. And of course, for Batman on Film, also do the Batman Podcast Network Twitter at BatPod Network. Uh-huh. I'm also part of the Robin Everyone Loves the Drake podcast, which is on Twitter at ELTD Podcast. And we mentioned Azrael in this show a couple of times. And yes, there will be an Azrael podcast produced by me uh, that it, uh, that should start one of these days. <laughs> it's in the works. There's like, you know four or five episodes already recorded and, uh, but it's coming and, but it's already on Twitter. You can find that show, uh, at Azrael podcast. And correct me if I'm wrong, but don't you also have an unreleased interview with the late, great Denny O'Neill? Oh, yes, I do. I have a three ish, almost three hour interview that was conducted with the late, great Dennis O'Neill. Uh, we recorded it like, three years ago or something and it's it is it's a big daunting interview is what it is and i've just been trying to do it justice all these years and i and it's meant as a um as a bridging vehicle for the asriel podcast so maybe i'm been toying around with what to do with it but the plan is to do something along the lines of of debut some of it on a BOF podcast and then have it transitioned to a ELTD and, or uh, then an Azrael podcast that might change. I'm not sure. 
but that was, that's kind of the idea, but it's a big, long, sprawling interview and it's fantastic. And of course it's even a little bit more poignant now that uh, Dennis O'Neill is no longer with us, but it is a a fantastic three hour interview with the guy and super honored that we were able to get to actually do that. And um, it will absolutely be posted because people deserve to, uh, to experience that. And so at some point you will. So it'll definitely be part of the the Azrael podcast when it does launch. Fantastic. I can't Mm -hmm. wait. And the sole purpose of that podcast is to convince or to get me liking Azrael. Mm -hmm. That's, that's pretty much it. Yeah. That's quite a, that's quite a task. That's quite a mission. So I heard you on one of them episodes, one of them Q and a episodes where you were like, so Ryan Hossel never listened to this (laughs) jokes on you. Little, yeah, the joke is on me because you came and you trumped me three times on how to run my own show. So if you two want to let me know that I don't know how to operate a podcast, you can do that on the Batman Book Club's Twitter account at the Batman BC, or you can do it on my Twitter account at Lauer underscore Ryan Lauer spelled like lower. You can also write in to tell me how I is how I have failed as a host at the Batman You failed this podcast. And lastly, I keep sounding desperate, but it is uh, to help the show. If you would like to rate and review it, uh, do that at Apple Podcasts. It can be really, really quick, and then it would help spread the word please on the show. Don't, please don't leave a four star because, oh my God, don't do it. I know I almost wrapped this thing up before we could even do this episode because I got my first four star review. And so there you go. See, there's all these reasons why I'm forgetting how to, how to host podcasts. Can I, can I plug something I forgot to plug too while we're just making stuff up? No, you had your, your own part. So anyways, here we go. No, go ahead. Sorry. Go right ahead. <laughs> okay. Uh, I did mention the, the bat, the BOF uh, nightfall presentation. So if for some reason you're not a Batman on film, Batman book club, super fan and listen to all of our nonsense, <laughs> you can go back to Batman on film podcast episode 145 and that does have the excellently recorded audio from that nightfall panel as well as a history of batman on film panel that uh me and rob myers and trey jackson recorded at at the at the bowling green state university batman in popular culture conference back in 2019 it is a cool listen so that's excellent you and i have also gotten to do some cool things in podcasting together we podcasted through the bof podcast episode number 135 people want to track that down because that's with the great wally wingert who is the voice of the riddler in the arkham games as well as a lot of other fantastic stuff also riddler in video games and such and even cartoon movies and then also in bof podcast number 158 where i interviewed andrew farrago the author of Mm. the most Batman book of all time who you got to also interview in person. So you, mm. you opened up that door. I had to throw those into Ryan Haas is because together nobody covered that book. Like you and I did. That is the damn truth. That's the truth. And Andrew Farrago is, is a really cool dude and he's so freaking smart when it comes to like animation and comics and stuff and Batman, because he wrote the definitive book. He, on literally, li- he literally wrote the book. That's right. He really did. He really did. So I'll stop um, rambling now, and I will thank Ryan Haas again for coming on the show to talk Batman Child of Dreams 
follow me on Twitter. Follow Batman Book Club on Twitter. And you can write in if you want. Or do not event. And we'll just wait until we come out with the next show. Which will also be somebody that's been on this show before. So, for Ryan, I'm Ryan. Thank you for listening. And read more Batman comics. Mm-hmm.